You know what? Uh, speaking of prayer, it reminds me of a story of this man who was hiking in the woods. And he came across this huge, ferocious grizzly bear. And this bear turned on him and started to give chase. Uh, this man obviously was terrified. He turned tailed and ran for his life. As fast as his legs could carry him, he crashed through the woods completely disoriented until he suddenly found himself at the edge of a cliff overlooking a deep canyon. He had nowhere left to go. He looked behind him and, you know, he saw this bear quickly gaining on him. And so in desperation, he cries out to the heavens and he says, Lord, would you please make this bear a Christian? <laughs> and to his surprise, suddenly, lo and behold, the bear drops to its knees, raises its arms to the air. And the man thought, I am saved. Hallelujah. He hears the bear suddenly say, thank you, Lord for this food I am about to partake. Turn to someone next to you and say, be careful what you pray for. Be careful what you pray for. Prayer is powerful. Can somebody say amen? And that is why today, you know, my message is titled, Turning the Tide. Turning the Tide. And this is the prayer of King Hezekiah. And you can find this in 2 Kings verses 19, uh, chapter 19, verses 14 to 19. And this is an incredible prayer. Why? Because it is a prayer that essentially turned around the destiny of a nation. Uh, what were the circumstances that led up to this prayer? What was the prayer itself and what happened immediately after? Well, let me start off by bringing us to the chapter prior to this prayer in chapter 18. And it says this, Now it came to pass in the, year, in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshiah, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. Now, this is the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel has split into northern, southern at this time. And at the end of three years, they took it. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. What was the circumstance leading up to this prayer? The empire of Assyria was on a rampage, conquering nation after nation, crushing any opposition towards their rule. They had already taken over the northern part of Israel, the kingdom of Israel, as it was called in that time. And now King Sennacherib has taken fortified cities in Judah. And so the writing is on the wall. Jerusalem is next. Now, what do historians tell us about the Assyrians? You see, the Assyrians were known for their brutality. And, uh, you know, it was not uncommon for them to cut off limbs, to gouge out eyes, to flay skins of their captives and leave them alive after. Why? To show what happens when you go against the nation of Assyria. This was all part of their psychological warfare, a tool they would use. And so if your city fell to Assyria, sometimes, you know, it was almost as good as saying that you would rather be dead than caught alive. This was a dark, dark period of time and a future that looked ahead for Judah. And it was in these dark times, these dark straits, that the king Hezekiah cries out in desperation to God. This is what he prayed. He said, then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth, you have made heaven and earth. And then he goes on to say, incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. 
Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nation and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. This was Hezekiah's prayer. And as a result of this pivotal prayer, a miraculous turnaround began to happen. And we're going to read these next uh, last few pieces of, of verses. I would like all of you, both online you know, and on site, to join me in reading this aloud together. So loud, you know, those online can also hear you. Can we do that together? Yes? Can we do that? Okay, let's go. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of Assyria 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, they were corpses all dead. Loud now, this last one. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Judah was headed for destruction and death. But because of Hezekiah's prayer, a nation's destiny was completely turned around. That was amazing. Now today, you know, all of us who are listening to this, maybe we don't face desperate life and death situations as is spoken here. But perhaps some of us, you know, may feel like the walls are closing in, like our backs are against the wall, just like in the siege of Jerusalem. There were no options, you see. It was bleak out there. You may feel like you're caught in the proverbial rock and the hard place. You may feel today, you know, that your hopes are fading, that your dreams, what you set out to do, it's dying. Today, perhaps, you may even feel like the wheels are spinning, but you don't feel like you're going anywhere. You know, you're stuck there with nowhere to go. You're hemmed in. No matter what season you're in, whether you're waiting on the Lord, whether, you know, you see a future or there's nothing in the horizon for you, I have good news for you, SIBKL. Because Hezekiah's prayer today will show us, teach us how God can begin to bring new life into our situation. Fresh hope for us once again. Renewing our faith and our walk with Him so that we can begin to see as God sees and see His glory revealed. So that we have a deeper understanding of His work both in and through our lives. And so if you're excited about that, SIBKL, can I hear a loud amen? And so let me share with you three principles today from Hezekiah's prayer. The first is this, look up. Everyone say, look up. I mean, some of you are looking up right now, but just say one more time, look up. What is this about? It is about acknowledging reality and yet appealing to a higher authority. What was the reality of Hezekiah's situation? You see, this is a man, this is a king who has tried possibly everything possible in his power to stem the tide of this huge Assyrian army bearing down on his city and his kingdom. You know, we read in the account of 2 Chronicles 32, uh, whereby uh, we see that, you know, he has fortified the city, he has strengthened uh, the walls, he has made weapons for the soldiers, he has strategized, you know, with his key people and cutting off the water supply, hoping to deal a blow to the logistics of the Assyrian army. And you know what? When all else fails, he even brings a tribute 
in chapter 18 of 2 Kings, it tells us that he brings a tribute to the king of Assyria, emptying out the coffers, you know, so that he might appease the king and turn back the armies of Assyria. But did it work? No. It was only a temporary respite. The armies of Assyria continued to bear down on Jerusalem. What was the reality? The reality was that they were no match for this Assyrian army which had not only taken over nations, conquered them, they had conquered the northern Israel already. They had taken the fortified cities of Judah. They were no match for this army that was bearing down on them. You know, as we read this passage, I just sense in my spirit that the, the, the Bible would challenge us once more in asking us this question. Where does our help come from? Where does your help come from? You see, when our backs are against the wall, when challenges begin to be too much for us to handle, you know, at worst, we go into a downward spiral of despair and denial for ourselves. At best, you know, we may strategize, we may try to lean on our ingenuity or our team or wisdom or, or whatever solutions that we may come up with, or when all else fails, we try and brace ourselves you know, locking ourselves in portably in a corner somewhere, hoping that this storm will just pass over us and that we will survive it. But when we begin to do that, we place ourselves in a, in, in a place where we forget that our greatest advocate and our source of strength is the Lord God Almighty. Can somebody say amen? amen. It's very much... You know, like the story of this little boy who was playing in, in the garden and he had new sets of uh, toy gardening tools, you know. And, and so he was just playing there in the garden and, and he wanted to move this huge rock. And so he, he took out tool after, after tool, you know, he tried to, to use it at different angles and he was struggling there a little bit. And when, when all the tools didn't work, you know, he just threw them aside. He started just pushing of his own strength, you know, he tried making the rock move. All the while, the father was just watching his son from inside the house, seeing his son struggle when at the final point, he comes out to his son and sees his son struggling, you know, tears almost to his eyes already. He says, son, I see you're trying to move this rock. Have you used all of your strength? And the boy was like, yes, yes I, I tried all these new tools, you know, I pushed, I pushed, nothing happened. And the father said, well, you have not asked me. See, until we begin to learn to ask God, to partner with God, we have not yet tapped our greatest source of strength, our advocate. Where does our help come from? It comes from the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Can somebody say amen? He's our advocate. He's our strength. He is our provider. And so Hezekiah knows this. He recognizes this. He goes to God in prayer. It says in verses 14, after Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it, he went up to the Lord's temple and spread it out before the Lord. The first thing Hezekiah does is to declare God as the ultimate authority. And I've underlined this here, spread it out before the Lord. The message that he received, he took it to the temple and spread it out before the Lord. Why is this interesting? What is the significance of this act? You see, this message was addressed to the king. The king of Judah, Hezekiah, he is the authority in their land. He has the highest position. Nothing happens without his say-so. And in doing this, in laying and spreading the message before the Lord in his temple, symbolically what Hezekiah is doing is laying down his crown and saying, no, it is not truly me. It is you, God. You, God, are king. 
not over just Israel. You're king over all the kingdoms of the earth. You are my king. And it is you that has the final say and the final authority. King Hezekiah came before the Lord in a posture of humility and a posture of submission, even as he declared God as the ultimate authority. And so it is the same for us. This is the posture that we need to come when we come into God's presence in seeking Him. It is in humility. It is in submission, declaring that the Lord is the ultimate authority. You see, when when we have challenges, you know, when we have our backs against the wall, we come before the Lord and say, Lord, I, I bring to you, you know, my finances, I bring to you, Lord, my, my, my family. I surrender it to you. Even my children, oh God, you are Lord over my workplace. You are God over my business. It is you, oh God. I am a steward and I am a servant. We come in humility and surrender before God. And we say, we echo just like what Hezekiah did. He said, you alone. Everyone say, you alone. You alone are God of all the kingdoms of the earth. You alone created the heavens and the earth. He declares God as the ultimate authority. And then, you see, first Hezekiah places God in his rightful place. It is only when you begin to do this, the second thing you can do is to place reality in proper perspective. I love the New Living Translation uh, uh, of, of what he prayed. And it says this, he says, it is true, Lord, that the kings of Assyria have destroyed all these nations, and they have thrown the gods of these nations into the fire and burned them. But of course, the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all. Only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. In other words, Hezekiah is saying it's true. What they're saying is true. They have conquered nation after nation. They've thrown their gods into the fire. But here is the thing. Here's the thing. They were not the true God, the living God whom we serve today. He puts it in perspective. And in the same way, as we come in humility and surrender before God, when we place God in His rightful place in the throne over our lives, over our family, and over our workplace, it is then as we begin to exalt God and worship Him that we can adopt a posture of faith. Everyone say faith. And faith is this. For us as believers, you know what? We may be passed up for promotion. You know what? Our business deals may fall through. Doctors may say that we're terminal even as our health is failing. Our children may begin to go astray. You know, they may break our hearts. And yet, yet, we believe that God has the final say. Can somebody say amen? See, it's only when we begin to look up that we can begin to look past our mountains of oppression and overcome. Somebody say amen. Somebody say, look up. And next thing he does is he looks beyond. This is the second principle for us. Look beyond. Because the battle is never just physical. Why do I say this? You see, what was it that King Hezekiah faced? He faced, yes, the armies of Assyria. Yes, he faced the potential death of his own life. But you understand that it wasn't just the city that was under siege. He was under siege in both his mind and emotions as well. Think with me for a moment what a man of his position would be facing. Not just his death, Possibly, maybe his family, his friends, the people who he's meant to lead, to serve, to protect. You know, he was not just facing an overrun and a captivity of his city, but he was facing possibly the final days of the kingdom of Israel, of Judah. 
It's bleak. And on top of that, on top of all these things that he has tried and still failed, the enemy comes to rub salt in his wound and he taunts them. You know, this is what the messenger says out loud in public to all the people who are listening. He says this, Do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying that the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered its land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Taunts, mockery, rubbing salt in the wood. You know, it's not too much of a stretch of imagination to say that perhaps Hezekiah may have even been on the brink of mental, emotional collapse. I know I definitely would be. And so how did he, he stop this slide? How did he, uh, you know, break through from this mental, emotional siege? There are two things, you know, that stand out in this particular prayer. Number one, he did not allow fear to paralyze him. You see, King Hezekiah knew that even though all physical avenues of victory were closed to him, and yet the door to God remained open. All physical avenues of victory may be closed to him, and yet the door to God remained open. And that's why when he received that letter from the messengers, he read it and he went, he went to the Lord's temple. He did not wallow in a corner. He did not prepare for the worst, you know, going into a bunker somewhere and hoping that the storm would pass over him. No, he did not let fear paralyze him. He went into the presence of God. You know, sometimes when, when we're in a dark place and it's difficult to see the way out of our, our situation, one of the worst things that can happen is to lose hope. To come to a point where we might ask ourselves, you know what, what, what's the point? Why should I even do anything? And we just let go. Reminds me of the town of Flagstead in Maine. And in 1950, it's just, this, this is uh, uh, just an illustrative picture. You see, this, this, this town was, was full of life. There were people there, there were families there, you know, businesses were there. And yet, you know, in the 1950s, the town of Flagstaff of Maine, they made a plan to flood it because of a huge hydroelectric project. And this town would be flooded as part of a large lake for that hydroelectric dam. And so what happens in the months that followed this flooding was, was, was that all improvements and all repairs began to stop in the town. After what's what's the point of repairing something when it's just going to be wiped out? And so slowly, the town just had life seep out of it. The atmosphere just dwindled. Hopelessness began to come in. You see, this is, is what happens. When there is no hope for the future, there is no power to live in the present. This is true for all of us. It is this true for all of us. When there is no hope for the future, there is no power for us to live in the present. And that's why prayer is so important. You know, SIBKL, I know that I'm speaking to a praying church. Can somebody say amen? And yet I want to say it again. Prayer is so important. Keep praying because prayer is a powerful way to build our hope, not on our strategies, on our solution, our ingenuity, or our wisdom, but it is a way to build hope in God, beyond the physical, to press into the spiritual, where our spirits can be renewed, our souls are revived, and our spirits are healed. Restoration can begin to take place. Everyone say, keep praying. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, keep praying. And so whether you consider yourself a veteran, you know, or, or, or a newbie, whether it feels awkward for you, whether you feel like, you know, your prayers are, are weak because your faith is really so tiny right now, you're so downtrodden, keep praying. 
Because the power of prayer is not in the one who says it, but it is in the one who hears it. Can somebody say amen? amen. Isaiah chapter 58 verses 9 says, Then you will call and the Lord will answer. He hears and he will answer. That's what Hezekiah began to do. He came before the Lord, came into his presence, and he began to pour out his heart before him. He met with God alone and brought the accusations, the mockery, the ridicule, the taunting, all of it before the Lord. He says, bend down, O Lord, and listen. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to Sennacherib's words. I believe that there is an invitation for all of us to come into his presence and to begin to pour our heart just like Hezekiah did before him. What can we begin to do practically, personally in our own time, together corporately? That's why we sing and we pray in tongues, you know. That is why we speak God's Word, we declare it, the Scripture, there's power in that, there's rhema in that. You know, we sing anointed songs, we listen to it, and when words completely fail us, we soak in His presence. Why? Because we know He hears, He cares, and He is there. He did not allow fear to paralyze him. He went into the presence of God. But what's the second thing that Hezekiah began to do? How can we learn from this prayer? He confronted the enemy's lies. What was the basis of the enemy's accusations? It was this, basically that God could not save them from the Assyrian army and that Hezekiah's trust in God was a mistake. To this, Hezekiah responds. I love this. But of course the Assyrians could destroy them. They were not gods at all. Only idols of wood and stone shaped by human hands. He confronted the lies of the enemy head on and he began to expose them. Yes, you know, all these nations, they fall, but they were false God. I come to the truth of situation that there is one true God. He confronted it, lies head on. It reminds me of, this man who went to the doctor and said, Doctor, you know what? I, I think I, I'm in really bad shape. I'm dying, I think. You know, why? Because everything hurts. You know, what? The doctor says, you know, what, what do you mean everything hurts? Cannot be. Can you show me where, where it hurts? And, and so he says, you see, you know, uh, uh, you know he points to, to his, his, his arms. Aha, so painful. And then, you know, he says, even my head hurts. How are you? And my neck, oh, so hard. My stomach also, oh, so painful, doctor. You see, I must be dying. And the doctor said, I know what is wrong with you. I said, what is it, doctor? Tell me how many more months or weeks do I have to live? He said, your finger is broken. <laughs> what false stories or false, you know, lies do we allow ourselves to believe in our darkest moments. See, these false stories create in us shame, guilt, creates in us insecurities. It gives us a lens of negativity to everything that happens around us, to the people that we interact with. We start thinking that people have their worst intentions at heart whenever anything happens. And we become offended. We carry around this huge burden of unforgiveness and resentment with us. What false lies do we begin to believe? False stories in our dark moments. You see, we need to begin to pierce the darkness with the light of God's truth. Somebody say amen. When we come into these dark moments, 
We bring the Word of God, which is the light, the truth of God's Word, to begin to pierce the darkness of the lies that we may have thought, the assumptions that we may have made. We come to God into His presence once again and come back to the centrality of His Word, that we are called, that we are chosen, that we are blessed beyond measure, that we are favored, that the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. We begin to come and bring our grievances, our offenses, the people that we see in such a negative light, and we remember God's image is in every single person, that God commands us, calls us to begin to love our neighbors as ourselves. We begin to allow the Word of God to take preeminence in our lives and in our thoughts, renewing our minds. And as the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians uh, 10 verses 4 and 5, that we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Everyone say, take every thought and make it captive to obey Christ. We confront the lies of the enemy, piercing the darkness with the light of God's Word. We begin to break down the lies of the enemy and build ourselves up once more. Look up. Everyone say, look up. Look up. Say with me, look down. look down. And the final thing is to look beyond. Why was it that God saved Israel? See, what is looking down about? It is being able to see as God sees, to see His glory above all else. There were two reasons listed for us, you know, in, in uh, 2 Kings uh, 19 about the reasons why God moved, why God saved Israel. The first is this. He, uh, 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 you know, the, the prophet Isaiah came and he said this to him. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I have heard your prayer about King Sennacherib of Assyria because Hezekiah prayed God answered. God moved on his behalf. That alone should tell us why it is important to pray. Somebody say amen. amen. But the second reason is, is this. It was for God's own namesake. Verses 34, it says, For my honor and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city and protect it. And this was also a response to Hezekiah's prayer that all kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. It was for his glory. It was for his namesake. You see, the Bible tells us that the works of God are to display his glory. Psalms 19 verses 1, what does it say? The heavens declare the glory of God. Isaiah 49 verses 3, you know, it says that Israel is made to display my splendor, the Lord says. And so, you know, one of the great things to pray when words, you know, are just cease and we have no more ideas, no more smart things to say when we are down on our knees. One of the great things to pray is, God, show me your glory. Show us your glory. And you know what? I believe with all my heart from all that the Scripture tells us that God loves to answer this prayer. Why is it? Because God's desire is to reveal himself to his people in ever-increasing measure. This is the story of the Bible, that God would come near to his people and reveal himself, that Jesus would come into our midst to see in Jesus' face the glory of God. He desires to reveal himself to us in ever-increasing measure. And so he invites us to pray, show us your glory, your splendor, your majesty, your power, your goodness, your compassion, your mercy, your love, your kindness. Show us your glory. So the great thing about this 
is when we begin to pray for God to show us His glory, it leaves it up to Him how He wants to do that. Sometimes He may show His glory by, by, by revealing Himself and showing us, teaching us an attribute of Himself, His character that perhaps we have missed or minimized in the past, whether it's His faithfulness or His love towards us, you know, whether it's His kindness and compassion. Sometimes He chooses to show His glory and truly just leave us in awe and gratitude of all that He's done. Sometimes He chooses to reveal His glory in a miracle, a turnaround situation, just like we read in this passage and blow us away because the impossible happens. But with God, nothing is impossible. And sometimes God chooses to show His glory by giving us the greater miracle in revealing how He can begin to work His glory in our lives and through our lives. That's why. Show us your glory. It's much like the story of Nick Vujic. How many of you know Nick Vujic? You've heard of him before. Um, Nick Vujic, I think he's spoken in, in KL Singapore. Some of you may even have heard him um, live before. And Nick was born without arms and without legs. It's pretty obvious, you know, he's physically disabled, limited. And as a child, he often questioned God and wondered whether he would ever live a normal life. Because as a child, he experienced mocking. He experienced ridicule by his peers. You know, he was bullied by the other children. He was segregated, you know, set apart. No one wanted anything to do with him. You see, he was not just facing physical problems and challenges, but mentally, emotionally, he was distraught and in despair. So much so that he accounts he considered suicide a couple of times. But as he uh, you know, often tells the story of his own turnaround, at the age of 15, he decided to give his life to Jesus. And this came about after he read a passage in the Bible, John 9, about the man who was born blind. And in this passage, Jesus heals the blind man. And yet, it wasn't the healing that caught his attention. What caught him was Jesus' response to the disciples when they asked, what is it that this man did to deserve his condition? Was it his parents that sinned? What was it he himself that sinned? And Jesus responded by saying, it was so that the works of God may be seen in Him. Nick caught that. That was the turnaround moment for him. He realized that in his life, there was meaning, there was purpose beyond his physical, mental, you know, emotional disability and state. God's glory could still be seen. He began to see as God saw. And that was the turning point, the breakthrough point, the turnaround moment for him. Because from that moment on, everything else changed. Doors began to open. God gave him the opportunity to begin to share his story. In the first seven years of his ministry, you know, he uh, shared his story to uh, over 2,000 times across 44 countries. Can you imagine that? He impacted millions of lives. And today, today he lives what he calls a ridiculously good life. He has done, you know, soccer. You know, if you want to give God praise, give him big ten. He's done extreme sports. I mean, this is remarkable. He's played golf. He's done everything he's wanted. And he has a beautiful family of his own. He saw as God saw. And he saw God's glory above all else. Because of that, he received a greater miracle for his life. Look up. Acknowledge the reality and yet appeal to the ultimate authority. 
look beyond, beyond the physical to what God has in store for you and look down, see as God sees, see through His eyes and above all, see His glory. Where does it start? It starts by looking to Jesus. Because in Jesus, the one who died for your sins and mine on the cross of Calvary, God engineered the greatest turnaround in history when He raised Him from the dead. It was because of Jesus. When we look up, we see a God that is not far away, but a God who draws near, a God of compassion, a God that has set Jesus high above all principality and power and dominion and every name that is named, both in this age, in the next. We can look beyond our physical circumstance and stand in faith because of Jesus. In Jesus, we can look down and see God's glory because the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 6 that God who let light shine in the darkness has made this light shine in our hearts so that, why? The glory of God can be seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and see the glory of God. How many of you want to see God's glory in your life today? Amen. Why don't you just keep your hands up right now as we respond to the Word of God and as the music plays. I just feel like today we need to begin to respond, that God is calling us back as His people into His presence to look towards God Amen. once more. Whatever your situation today, whether you feel weak and helpless or whether you're in a place where you're in God's presence today, let's just begin to look to Jesus once more and say, Lord, let Your glory be shown in and through our lives today. God, I pray for all these hands that are raised right now. Hearts are open to you. God, we hear your call today to look up and see you. You are where our help comes from. And so today, Lord, for those of us who may be facing strongholds in our lives, maybe of addiction, maybe of anxiety, maybe in a situation where we see no way out, Lord, we look to you for breakthrough in Jesus' name because we look beyond to the cross of Calvary where you have conquered sin and death and you have turned the tide of darkness in our life. Lord, I pray right now that your peace that surpasses all understand would just begin to descend on our hearts and on our minds. Lord, as we look to you, show us your glory. Amen. Why don't you put your hands down right now? I just, I just want to make one more call today because there may be some of you here in this, in this building who may be here you know for the first time or you brought by a friend but but you know you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior you don't know this Jesus who died for your sins for mine today you say I, I want to turn around I want to turn around from my old ways from my old way of living and I want to I want to give my life and my heart to Jesus if that's you today now, all heads bowed and all eyes closed, all hands down. If that's you, I want to invite you in a moment to just raise your hands to the Lord in indication to Him. And when I see that, you know, I, I want to lead you in a simple prayer to do exactly that, to give your heart to Jesus, whether you're online, whether you're right here in the front or in the balcony. Every eyes closed and every head bowed right now. If that is you, you say, I want to come back to Jesus I want to receive Jesus for the first time as my Lord and Savior. Would you just raise your hands and I will see it and I will acknowledge it wherever you are. Thank you, Jesus. All across. I see that hand over there, that lady. Thank you, sister, so much. You can put that down. Jesus comes into your heart today. He sees your heart. Thank you, Lord. Is there anyone who wants to join my sister up uh, down here, you know, maybe up in the balcony, as some of you as well? Just raise your hands. If, if I don't see it, just wave it at, at me. I'm, I'm looking now. You are so precious to the Lord. You are so precious to Him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. I'm going to say a prayer right now, a very simple prayer to invite Jesus 
as your Lord and Savior. And SIBKL, even those at home, uh, if you raise your hands, you know, God sees and He's there with you right now. I want all of us to say this prayer together. Just an encouragement for those who make this momentous decision today. Can we do that, church? Yeah. Say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus, today I open my heart to you. Today I open my heart to you. I turn around from my old ways. I turn around from my old ways. And I turn towards you, Jesus. And I turn towards you, Jesus. I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness. For my past. For past. And I step into the new life that you have for me. I step into the new life that you have. Cover me with your grace. And help me to live, help me to live. for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Give the Lord a big clap offering right now. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know what? Why don't we stand to our feet right now and really just respond to the Lord in worship. I'm going to ask the worship team just to lead us in this chorus. Amen. You know, as Joshua was speaking just now, the phrase that comes to my mind keep recurring again and again. And I believe this is of the Lord. Taking from the cue of King Hezekiah, the Lord says to you, to me, do not appease the other gods. Just appeal to the right God. Can I repeat that? Don't appease the other gods. Just appeal to the right The right God don't even want you to appease Him. Give an offering. Lord, if I do this for you, you do this for me. I offer this for you, this appeasing. And how many of us appease other gods? So that we can get the deal, we can get the healing, we can get this and that. Don't do that. Learn from King Hezekiah. Don't appease other gods. One thing we need to do, appeal to the Lord God Almighty. I'm going to open the altar. I just sense in my spirit that some of you are in the cul-de-sac you have been trying to appease other gods. You might even have made, tried to make a bargain with God. But today, on the strength of the word, I don't know how many will come forward, but you appeal to God. Family, your health, your children, your career, I don't know. From the balcony, down here you appeal to God the same God that saved Israel in Hezekiah's days is the same God is here this evening this afternoon you appeal to God I'm going to sing this song one more time whatever your situation is trouble in your home issues in your workplace problems in your health relationship don't you know You've been appeasing other gods. Right now, you appeal to the God Almighty. Although every one of you, you want to close your eyes, close your eyes. You're going to come to the closing stages of this day. I want you to believe whatever you've heard. Contextualize it. Make it yours. When the Word of God becomes flesh, it is yours. It doesn't stay here. You take it home with you. The Word of God doesn't stay in this pulpit every week, understand? You take it home with you. You take it home with you. And over the week and the days, the Word becomes flesh. So every one of you, close your eyes. Don't worry what happened in the front here. Take home the word. It become flesh. It will become. It is flesh. 
because the word became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. So every one of you close your eyes as we come to the close of this whole weekend of three services. raise your hands with me to God would you raise your hands with me it's an act of surrender it's an act of yielding you see it's an act of submission raise hands Father in Jesus name you see it raises hands all over this auditorium even at home we surrender yes Lord we don't know what to do that's why we seek the Olam we seek the infinite we seek the wisdom of God so today like Hezekiah we spread it out we spread it out before you whether it be for our children, whether it be for their welfare, whether it be for our career, our finances, our families, our health, or even salvation in unsafe members of our family, we spread it out. We So, Father God, numerous requests are going up to you right now in Jesus' name. And everyone is special. Everyone matters to you. Because truly, God, not only are you in control, but also you can. By faith, receive the answer to your appeal. God is a God who is in control. But He also cares for you. So in my mighty name of Jesus Christ, Father, we receive your answer. Unfolding, unfolding in the coming days and weeks as we stand still and see the salvation of God upon our lives. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so the Lord bless you and keep you this day. The Lord make His face always to shine upon you and your loved ones. The Lord turn His face towards you and your family wherever they are and always bless you with shalom. Shalom and shalom. In Jesus' precious name we pray and God's people say, Amen. Let's give God a good clap offering.